Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Stompcast, a very special edition of the Stompcast with me, Dr. Alex George. This is the podcast where I go for a walk with a guest, take a little wander into their life. However, this week is a little bit different because we're wandering into my life a little further, and in particular with relation to my medication history, me taking mental health medication, taking antidepressants for my mental health. I have been taking medication now for nearly two years. I started in 2021, and earlier this year, just in February, I decided to stop taking medication following guidance from my GP and planned with my GP, who I actually have here with me today. My GP is Dr. Naomi Hill. She's a GP at Grafton Square Medical Practice here in Clapham in London. Dr. Hill, together with Dr. Ree Hill, have been an incredible source of support for me, helping me throughout the whole journey of deciding to go on medication all the way through to starting on meds, learning to live life on medication, and also in the process of coming off medication too. So this episode isn't just about me being self-indulgent and reflecting on my experience taking medication. It really is, I hope, about bringing out advice, learnings, reflections, and things that you can take away if you are struggling, or indeed if you know someone, you know someone that needs help with the mental health, or just in case in the future you do find yourself struggling or in a difficult place. As far as I'm aware, this is not something that's really been done before, having the GP and their patient reflect on the kind of journey, I guess, of going on medication or reflecting on their treatment in such a public way. But I'm really grateful of Dr. Hill for for joining me in doing this because I think it really will be insightful and I think it really could help you guys. This episode is focusing on medication and a lot of the questions around taking medication. But of course, there's a lot more that goes into looking after your mind. And that is why I wrote the Mind Manual. It is the book that I believe everyone should have in their home. Everyone should read this book, and I believe there's a lot to take from it. It is the culmination of all of my experience, all the evidence that's out there, put together in a practical manual that is there for you to use to be your friend to live a happier and healthier life. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Stompcast, welcome back to another episode. We are in sunny Clapham Common at the moment, having a little wander. I actually spent a lot of my uh, time here throughout um, the second half kind of of the lockdowns and uh, and the time kind of wandering around uh, Clapham Common. It's kind of a popular place for a lot of, I think, young people to come along and enjoy and have a walk. I think half of Australia lives in, in Clapham as well, so it's, it's a great part, great part of the world. This is going to be a very different episode of the Stompcast because essentially, as a lot of you know, I've been on medication for my mental health. I was taking sertraline, an antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication for my mental health for about the last two years. And I started a campaign called Post Your Pill, which a lot of you on socials have shared. And, um, you know, 
you've been amazing really supporting the campaign talking about your own stories um, sharing the highs and the lows and hopefully destigmatizing taking medication and this campaign was never about being pro-meds it's not about being pro-meds it's about being pro doing what you need to do to look after your mental health and not having silly things like stigma blocking you getting the support you needed and so reflecting over the last year or so and now being in a position where i've stopped sertraline and i'm about 10 11 weeks off the medication i've been very lucky to have my gp join me on in her own time to go for a walk with me and talk a little bit about some of the things the common themes that themes that come up with medication medication stigma i'm going to talk a little bit about my own experiences i'm going to have some expert insight as well so without further ado Welcome, uh, Dr. Hill. So, Naomi Hill uh, from uh, Grafton Square Medical Practice here in Clapham. Again, any Claphamites that live around here, you'll know that one. Thank you for, for joining me. It's very different. We've got you, I'd say you're not working today, but we've kind of got you out and about on a stomp. Yeah. I'm, I'm very grateful, really, to have you here. And you're going to be sharing, you know, a bit of that insight from the other side of the desk, if you like. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on. It's an honour to be on your podcast. And I think it's doing great things, having listened to quite a few episodes now. Yeah. It's promoting all the things I feel really passionate about. So oh, thank, thank you, you so much. much. And before we start, there's a few things to preface here. First of all, I'm talking about my own experience here. This is my experience as a patient, as someone that has been on medication. It's my journey. I'm clearly consenting to do so. I know that a few people are listening, so that is absolutely you know, my choice to do so. Uh, it's important to say that because confidentiality is very importantly and normally cl quite clearly you wouldn't go chatting about another patient's yeah. uh, history and so on. I've invited you on, I've asked you to do this and yeah. you very kindly come on board to share it. So that's just, just to reassure people that this is a deliberate thing for me to be able to kind of hopefully give you guys a bit of insight into it. And the second thing I'd say as well is that we're not giving you medical advice. This is, um, you know, the insight for me as a patient and kind of also my, in my role as mental health ambassador and it's from your experience as a yeah. GP in yeah. general. So if you're concerned, if you're worried, if you're struggling with your mental health, check out the show notes for guidance about where to go and very importantly, go and see your GP. Okay, should we get started with a stomp? Yeah. So. I hear you mentioned just before we started that you like to come out here on a lunch break. Is that right? Yeah. So this is what we can call my stomping ground. Yes, um, indeed. I come out here with my we call each other our work wives. Yeah. Um, and we it's great because we force each other to come out. And I think mm. if we didn't, we'd just be you know, as you know, the work as a doctor it never ends. It's never you can you know you could be at your desk all day or be in the, on the wards all day. So we come out here. We force each other to take a lovely walk mm. around. We you know, get out any of our work stressors, have a chat. And I think, you know, I'm very lucky to have some really nice colleagues and we have a good walk around here. And I used to come up here with the kids when I lived close to here as well. Mm. So we'd push a big buggy around here as well. It's a really important part of, I think, uh, you know, anyone's day is just getting outside and having a walk. And, and like you yeah. said, it's, you know, it's a big reason I started the Stompcast was because I just want to encourage people to have the benefits of, of nature and get outside yeah. and to move. And I know that we do have quite a few doctors listening to this uh, podcast. And I just want to say as well, you know, and anyone that follows me on Instagram, you've probably seen me well I hope you've seen me supporting the junior doctors and doctors with everything that's going on it's a really tough time for a lot of you isn't it mm. I mean whether you're you know you're not a junior doctor anymore but you'll certainly remember the challenges of being yeah. a junior doctor yeah I think morale is very low at the moment so I just want to kind of say you know I support you guys and you know I think most public and the general public support you guys and we really appreciate you and just hope that you know the right things happen yeah. at a government level Fingers that we crossed. get to the point where things are fair because yeah I mean, you can see over the years what has happened to the NHS. You can see the morale over the years. I mean, even when I started, 
working in uh, 2015. Yeah. Like even since then, you, you just feel that people are just really tired. People I feel think, undervalued. Yeah. They feel that they're underpaid. They feel that the the wards are getting busier and the environment's harder. But you know, it's just like it's, it's the. I think it's the feeling undervalued, which is one of the main keys. And whether mm. that's about pay or you know whether it's the the environment. Mm. What's just so important is that we as doctors and the wider NHS, because remember we're a big team and we all help each other. And I think it's important for, you know, for patients to recognise and note that we're doing everything we can and hopefully, fingers crossed, things will improve. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we need, we, NHS is an amazing thing, but it can't, it can't continue. No, no. So talk to me a little bit then. We're going to go, you know, in this episode, we really are going to dive into, it's going to be a bit of a split of my own experiences, but also kind of more broadly what you're seeing in the general picture yep just give us a little insight of like what your general what does it mean to be a GP what what is a GP and what kind of stuff do you see in general so we're what you'd say is the the first port of call for all patients you know with a non-acute problem so obviously you're going to A&E that's the secondary care side of you know the acute emergency problem but as GPs you know, we, we're saying, yeah, it's, it's hard work, but we're, it's, it's a real privilege because we are seeing such a range, of, a range of medical problems. We're seeing people from, could be that you're following up someone from when they were born till when they're old, you can see families all together. You really get to know your patients. So we deal with, there are a lot of acute things and in young people who might only see them once a year, twice a year, but then we're also seeing chronic things. So whether it's, it's diabetes or mental health problems or um, something that we're following up. So you really get to know your patients. And that's why I think I've heard you speak on other podcasts about finding the right, you know, when you've talked about therapist, mm. I think it's really mm. important to find the right, you know, GP that speed you feel. Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> speed, speed date your GP. Date your yeah. GP. Definitely <laughs> but, something that will get you in trouble with the GMC. So don't yeah, do so that. Yeah, so don't speed date your GP. <laughs> but but that's the same concept yeah, though. Yeah. You've got to find the person that that you can you can relate to, you can yeah. mentally connect with, because you are talking about things, let's be honest, that are yeah. very private and often very personal. Yeah, and you need, as a patient, you need to feel heard. And I think it's, you know, patients need to realise we're also patients. So we have our own things that mm. we go and see our GP yeah. for, yeah. whatever it may be. And we also need to find the right GP for yeah. us. And it, you know, not, you know, you might not find that on the first time, but go back and see someone else if you don't feel that necessarily you've been heard, you've got that right relationship. Because actually there's no point me you know, prescribing a drug for someone if they don't think that there's any point in taking it. Yeah, so you've got, it's sure. a two-way thing. It's a, you know, so that's, I think that's what's really good about general practice. You get to see such a wide variety of things. You don't know what's coming in next. And, and it just keeps it really, really interesting. But also you get, you get to really know people. And if you're a people person, that's a, that's a great job to do. And it's, the thing about being a doctor, I think generally, is that the most important thing really is that communication, isn't it? Mm. Like, Communication is so, so important. And whenever like that relationship between a patient and doctor falls down, or indeed actually a lot of the time when things go wrong, yeah. it's not because of lack of knowledge. Usually yeah. there's a communication yeah. issue that's, that's happened or something has gone wrong in that communication. So it's not just about making people, people feel comfortable, but it's also like in a sense of like, if you're going to create a treatment plan, it's that communication aspect yeah. that's important. And, let's, and, and on that note, really, having great communication is also important because sometimes people are really coming to you at times when they're desperate and they're feeling lost. Maybe maybe it's taken them so much to come to you with this problem, whether that's mm. a physical problem mm. or, or a mental problem. Mm. And I, I remember, you know, di let's dive into kind of the story and the reason really I want to chat to you today is about medication and is about t treating mental illness. Because I remember in, it was 2000, and, 
21. It was kind mm. of springtime mm. that my anxiety was becoming quite bad. Yeah. Um, I have, I, throughout my whole life, been quite an anxious person. I've been diagnosed with ADHD about eight months ago, which I think ties a lot into some of the, some of the overlapping anxiety and ADHD and yeah. the kind of the factors that kind of propel a bit of both in some ways. The anxiety was there. You tie in losing my brother uh, in 2020, I had to think then about what yeah. it was, losing my brother at that time, coming off Love Island, doing all this stuff, having the pressure then of being, you know, mental health ambassador, everyone turning to you going, go on then Alex, what are you gonna do kind of yeah. thing and feeling that weight of the world. I really, all of a sudden, felt the weight of my world, the world on my shoulders. And yeah. I remember, I remember just waking up one day going, shit, I don't know how much more I can do this. Like I'm a very, I'm a, anyone knows me, I'm very resilient. Mm. I'm a very, I'm, I get up each morning and I'm like, let's go. Like that's me as a person. And I feel I can take a lot. But then especially if you feel like that and all of a sudden you're like, God, I'm struggling to like get changed or mm. open the curtain here, mm. but I need to go outside. I've got this meeting to do. I've got this. These people are expecting me to do these things. Yeah. It was very frightening. I was very, very frightened. I think what really made my anxiety really bad was when I felt that my mood had also dropped and I couldn't lift any of it. Yeah. So I remember the fear. I was in A&E working a shift and I, at lunchtime I was like, I can't do this anymore. So I walked outside and thought I'm going to ring ring the GP practice and ring uh, Grafton Square Medical yeah. Practice at the time, second half of the pandemic, I was living locally here in Clapham, so I'm going to ring the practice. And I spoke to uh, your, your colleague uh, initially, and, and I said, look, I'm just not, not in a good place, like I really feel bad. And I was having quite a lot of, quite a lot of very intrusive thoughts, some very dark thoughts actually at that time. I don't know, you know, I wasn't worried about self-harming or anything like that, but I really was having very intrusive, very dark thoughts, felt really awful. And to have someone at the other side of the phone just being like, you know, it's going to be okay. Yeah. We're going to, this is, you know, just having a kind voice, just going, you know, you've done, you've done the right, the hardest thing's done now, you've told me, and we're going to, we're going to face this together. We're going to, you know, we're going to make a plan. Yeah. It's going to be okay. There's a huge weight off my shoulder at that time, even, even just having that uh, first phone call, because... That in itself is a huge barrier, it's isn't it? It's the biggest step. It's, it's yeah, scary. Yeah. It's really scary. And that phone call was a huge one for me. And I imagine a lot of people that have that. Do they call you and they're like, it's like they built up to that moment and they yeah. do it. And it's like, woof. And sometimes a lot of emotion comes oh, out Oh, yeah, well. no, def definitely. And I think, I think obviously you were going through such a big, you know, a, a many difficulties at that time. And I'm so sorry again mm. about your yeah, brother. Thank you. Um, but I think it can all, sometimes it comes to a head and that's maybe what, you know, as you were saying, it gets to a point where you can't then function. And that's sometimes when people come. Sometimes it's that a friend or family member mm. has said, you need to go to your GP. Mm. And often that first chat is they leave almost a different person already. Yeah. And that's because they've said it out loud. And I think saying it out loud and just saying, I'm not okay, yeah. is really brave, but it's, it's the start of then a journey and yeah. you know that okay there might be bumps in the road but probably from that point onwards it's probably only going to get better and that's what we tend to see obviously there are some cases where that's not the case but i think it's that first initial consultation that's the bravest thing anyone can do well, and that's why i'd say go and see your gp the thing is one of the sad thing is and one of the sad facts of and this is this is a fact that on average but the time from people having their first mental health symptom, whatever that symptom is, yeah. to seeing their doctor 
is often many years and in some cases decades. So people mm. will suffer with things like anxiety yeah. or low mood or intrusive thoughts, whatever it might be. Uh, and they, they often will make, wait many years. Yeah. I often use that analogy of like, if I've got, you know, I've, I've hurt my foot and I've got a bad foot, how many weeks or even days am I yeah, going to wait before yeah. I'm walking on my foot? And people are going, what's wrong with your foot? My foot's bad. What's going on with your foot? Come on, when are you going to go and see the doctor? Yeah. You're going to go. Yeah. You know, you're going to go to the doctor. Maybe you might leave it two weeks, but you're going to go. Yeah. But when it's in your head, people often go, oh, I'll bear it and I'll bear it. And I think what happens is that is that slow decline in your mental health and mm. you drift down that spectrum from a good place of mental health all the way down into actual mental illness right to a really yeah. difficult place before you go and you see and I think that's why that build up is such a big thing so when yeah. I picked up that phone this has been a long time I mean you know when my brother died I mean it was it's just all of a sudden it's like a grenade's gone off at your feet yeah but time has frozen at the bang of the grenade and I am sat with the ringing in my ears and that was kind of what it was like you're just in shock and I think it was a long time before all of that bubbles through. And I think it's been years, and I think a lot of it I'm obviously still dealing with yeah. just sits there and, and then it comes to the surface. And at that time, though, it was, it was really tough. And I remember saying on the phone, I remember saying, because often a lot of the time, you know, you look at things like what other things we thought, have we tried therapy? Have we tried, you know, the med have we looked at things like the lifestyle factors, things like movement, exercise, which we know are really important. We'll talk yeah. about the the interplay of that yeah. a little bit later because that's really really important i think a common misconception around medication is the idea it's like take the medication and nothing else yeah, matters no, no. i cannot tell you how far that is from the truth and we really will cover that now in time but it, it was that point where i knew i needed something else mm. and i remember being prescribed the sertraline dose so again there are many uh, different forms of antidepressants i just happened to be prescribed sertraline yeah so i remember being prescribed it but when I held that pill in my hand and I was about to take my first dose, I felt a huge amount of shame. Really? A huge amount of shame. And I thought, well, how has it come to this? And that's why I posted your pill starter, because I, I sat there in the bathroom and I took the photo, and the photo was the first photo of post your pill. And so I thought, why, how have I come to this where I need to, I need to take this medication? This is what's happened to me. Yeah. And then I thought, Alex, you're the mental health ambassador and you're letting stigma creep yeah, into your brain. I was yeah. like, look how deep it is. If it's, yeah. if it's within me, it's deep within society. Mm. And so that's why I posted, thought, no, what I'm going to do, I'm not only going to take this medication, I'm going to start post your pill. Yeah. Because in that way, hopefully we can tackle some of that medication stigma. So it, it's just, it, it really, really showed me at that point how afraid I was to start. And I just wonder from, you know, you see a broad demographic of people, but I think in the part of London that we're in, there's a lot of young people. Yeah. Do you see other people like me who at the time when you start it really struggle to actually start, maybe even prescribe the medication, they don't start it because of shame? Yeah, so there's a lot of people that have read into things before they come, which I think is a really, really good thing yeah. to have read into things, but it's all about the right source. So I think a lot of people say about GPs that we're just Dr. Google, <laughs> but we know, I always say to people, we, we do Google stuff, we know what to Google. Yeah, exactly. So we know the right resources, yeah, which exactly. hopefully you can you know, pop on the, yeah. on the podcast and things, um, on the notes. Yeah. But um, so people have already, they may have their preconceptions, you know, understandably from reading things or from speaking to friends. And we, we find this with lots of things, whether it's about contraception, you know, antidepressants, lo lots of things. And they might say, the, fir the first thing they might say is, I really, really don't want to have start medication. Or you talk to them about it and, oh, but will it change how my brain works? Or who how, I am. Yeah, who, you know, who, who I who am. You are, People yeah. think they're going to be a different person. 
and they and they might not like the thoughts of of changing changing chemicals in the brain or things like that you know it's a so we, it's it's really important for us to give then give the right resources mm. and often it's not a decision that has to be made in a rush so as gps yeah okay we sometimes have to make decisions quickly and that might be in an acute crisis and we might be on the phone to the mental health team yeah. but we also can give you time because there's no point me asking you to you know prescribing you something if you're not on board with that yeah um and that's what's really important with antidepressants is that you don't start it then suddenly stop it sure. but also that if we think you're taking it we, we don't want to prescribe you something and then you not be taking it sure. so there's I a real there danger is, there, in that actually yeah. the communication again communication breakdown you think yeah. they're taking it they're not taking that something that's yeah. supporting it and yeah. that, that's a real problem yeah. from the, the outset isn't yeah it? i think for a lot of people and certainly the things like even as a doctor and as someone like i think a lot of people i said this before a lot of people think that my focus on mental health started with my when my brother died, but actually I think my interest really started at university because I really yeah. struggled with mental illness at that time. I didn't seek help, didn't get support from the doctor. I kind of tried to deal with my family and friends and actually implemented a lot of the lifestyle factors, which at that time did help. Yeah. But there's a really interesting point again around stigma because I, I thought I thought if I did, the GMC, uh, the medical council mm. would say, oh, we'll hold him mm. back, or the university say, oh, no, you can't deal with it, let's hold him back. That was a big fear yeah. and a big stigma in there. And I think that was the grassroots, I think, for me, of my interest. And, you know, through obviously coming off Love Island and stuff and kind of a lot of things I saw there, that I've been building this kind of interest and knowledge over time. And what really struck me is that even with, as someone who's a doctor yeah. with a real keen interest in mental well-being and mental health, yeah. I still was there with that that feeling of like this is shameful there's a shame in, in there mm. is some shame mm. in all of this and and it's it's something that I mean I spent a lot of time thinking about why that is the case I'd be interested to hear your your thoughts around it but it, if you compare it to almost any other medication any other treatment I can't think of another treatment of any kind really almost yeah that has as much stigma as a medication that is for your mental health no there is there isn't any I always say to patients about to try and link it to blood pressure. If you came in with a high blood pressure and I gave you a tablet, you wouldn't feel the stigma about it. It's still we're still treating it, but whereas mental health is seen as different, I think I think it may be partly a generational thing. You know, we're known as like the snowflake generation and we should toughen up and all this yeah. sort of thing. Whereas actually we're just opening by people talking about things, we're opening conversation and there is a medication that is, you know, scientifically proven mm. to you know to do the job it's meant to do. So why is why is that yeah. a bad thing? I, I Still don't understand why it is, um, but clearly, as a society, we still aren't treating it as, as, a, as a medication that you would use just, you know, if it was a blood result or a number on a screen. Mm. I think it's because it's not a number. I think that's part of it. Yeah, because there is such a, I guess, subjective nature to your feeling. It's like yeah. one of the hardest things to treat is pain, for example, because yeah. pain is so subjective and people say, what do you mean I mean you're in pain you're in pain well you know when I'm in when I was working in A&E and someone goes right well, you're in pain you got like we've got a whole roster of drugs all the way from your kind of paracetamols all the way up to your IV morphine your really strong opiates yeah you want to give IV morphine to someone that's trying to tell you that they've got like a slight ache in their wrist yeah, yeah. but you equally don't want to give paracetamol to someone who is in absolute agony and mm. needs it and actually pain is a really difficult yeah, symptom to manage yeah. in the acute form a lot of the time but also in, in, the, in, the, yes. in the chronic one and this that's because I think there's so much subjectivity to it and yeah. in the mental health terms yes okay there are actually physical presentations of uh, mental health struggles there can be lots of things that you can see and go right okay I think this is where someone is at but you do rely also on someone being 
feeling confident and comfortable enough to tell you how bad they really feel. Yeah. You know, to open up and that's why it's such a shame, you know, things like, well, for example, with my brother and with many other people who, mm. who take their lives is that people can be around these people and say, well, I was just with them for lunch yesterday. Yeah. They seem fine. Yeah. But without them telling you where they are, you don't know, you don't know what the next step is or what, yeah. how, yeah. you know, where you are in terms of... Uh, in On terms the scale of, of things. Exactly, yeah. in terms, in terms of, of treating it. And so that the subjective is in, is in both ways. And for the person, and I think this was the, one of the things for me, flipping that round, the reason I'm talking about this, yeah. is that if you flip that round as the patient, you're like, am I bad enough? So if you think like, in that moment, I was like, oh, should I ring the gruff and squish? Should I ring them? Like, am I really yeah. that bad? Yeah. Actually, I look back and think, I was really, really bad. Yeah. I was really bad. I was intrusive, dark thoughts. Yeah. I was in a bad state. I wasn't, I, I wasn't, I was, my functionality, so like my ability to, so for people listening, you know, we talk about function a lot of the time, like, is your mental health affecting you to the point where you're not like uh, eating normally, you're maybe not, you know, keeping up with your hygiene as much, you're stopped exercise, stopped seeing yeah. people, you're struggling at work. Those are like signs of yeah. function yeah. being affected. I think my function was starting to be, affected but I still internally was like am I bad enough and I'd imagine that must be something you hear quite often as well it's like yeah. am, I, am I ill enough for this I think well I think a lot of people they you know I don't want to worry you or I don't want to take up your time or you know there's all this in the press about you can't get a GP appointment or you can't be seen or it's you know it's so busy or people under pressure but the thing is that's literally what we're there for mm. we're there to mm. see people mm. who are struggling and it's better to go a little bit earlier than you think oh I, you know it's better to think am i wasting this person's time which mm. you definitely are never wasting mm. anyone's time than turning then it turning into a crisis yeah so i think that's that's something where even if we just point you in the directions of and it's, it's it hopefully you know it'll be a, a mild case of anxiety or depression there's still so many resources we can give mm. and then we can and then it's almost like because that's been done you can then check in on people mm. and as well, if you are suffering with anxiety or depression, it's hard to maybe have as much insight as to how well you are, sure. which is why I think it's really important to have a really good support network. That's very true. People. That's very true because sometimes you do rely on other people. Like, yeah. you know, having said that, you know, people sometimes don't realize how much you're struggling. Sometimes people, when you really ask them, say, How do you think I am? They might turn around and say, well, actually, you don't seem yourself yeah, at the yeah, moment. You're not quite yeah. yourself. There's lots of ways you can you can look at that. I'd be interested to hear, you know, just broadly, like yeah. how do you, so when someone comes in, say that it was me that's, say I've, you know, my anxiety is really bad at the moment. You know, yeah. how do you decide, okay, Alex is mild, moderate or severe. I know we've got different categorizations, yeah. but like just broad, a broad idea. So how the, do you decide? Yeah, sorry. So there are... There are different scoring systems that we can use. There's things like the PHQ-9 and the GAD-7. There's, you know, there's these things that if you're doing an exam, you try and show that you're doing those things. In reality, we're looking to see whether this is something that's been affecting you for pretty much most days for at least two weeks. Mm -hmm. So it's not just, you know, you're having a bad few days yeah. or whatever. And then it's about whether, say if it was depression, are you feeling down, depressed and hopeless? And then also, have you stopped having pleasure or interest in things that mm. you normally would? Mm. And then there's all these other things in terms of, like you were saying, whether it's sleep, whether it's you know appetite change, whether it's um, you know ability to go out and go to work or see your friends. We've talked about all the other factors in terms of how it's fun you know affecting your functional day to day. So whether that's getting out, doing things, getting dressed, putting your makeup on if you know if that's mm. what you usually do. Um, there's also sexual problems as well. Mm. So people may find that you know they've lost their interest in sex, which is something that people don't talk about. Um, you know, mainly affecting relationships, personal and work. So it's those sort of three sides of things. And then it's how much that is impacting them. So 
it's a real scale mm. and you, people can fill in these boxes if, if you want, you know, if they want to. But sometimes we get a broad overview and mainly it's what the patient feels because it's about how it's affect, affecting that patient. So what can affect one person might be very different for another person. Mm. So it's very individualised and also about what that patient wants in terms of whether they're going to start antidepressants. When we talk about antidepressants, it's antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. Mm. They're all this sort of the same thing or there's propanolol as well. That's another a beta blocker that can control symptoms. So anxiety and depression, we sort of, we don't treat it as, as the same, but it's, you know, similar medications and similar ways of looking at it. And it's all about how it's impacting that person day to day. And another thing that we always have to ask as GPs is whether anybody has had thoughts of harming this themselves or anybody else, and also whether they're having any suicidal thoughts. And this can be a surprise for some people that were asking them and it may not be something that's cropped into their heads at all at the same time there are um, many people that when we ask them this question they do find that that's the first time maybe they've opened up about it and they have been having thoughts of either harming themselves or they've had those thoughts in the past or they could be that they are having suicidal thoughts and in that case we would need to um, monitor them very closely if it's something that they're very worried that they may act on, we would obviously make sure we get extra help for them, whether that's from the psychiatry team or um, making sure that they are in, you know, in a safe place or that we bring them in. And um, sometimes that means hospital, but most of the time it means that we can just follow up um, people very, very closely. And it's just something to be aware that if you are ever having those thoughts, to let somebody know, and we can obviously make sure that you're monitored and there's extra help for you. Right guys, we're drawing part one to a close. In part two, we're going to talk a little bit about the role medication plays within the wider aspect of treatment and mental health. So lifestyle factors and thinking about medication. And then we're really going to dive into like how do medications work? Like what can you expect taking them? And I'll share some of my experiences and like what's, what's the outcome? What is the desired result? Part three, we're going to talk a little bit about the different kinds of medication. Uh, and then we're really going to talk about, you know, how, you know, if you're listening to this and you are someone thinking, gosh, I really need some help, or this has triggered some thoughts for me, it's where do I go? What do I do next? And of course, a health fact of the week. Guys, see you in part two very soon.